0: Welcome back to
1: our show. I'm graduate assistant Jacob Michael, and here with me is our host, Dr. Russ McCullough, and our undergraduate assistant, Jacob Cottle.
0: All right, well, welcome. we got a special guest today, so this is fun. We have Guillermo Gonzalez, who is the development officer for Share Guatemala, among many other things, including uh, running his own business when I first met him on my trip to Guatemala he had blue hands so maybe we can talk about it here literally as he was just total indigo blue it was insane and uh, I had the time to do that we're trying to set up some things with the Gordon Institute um, affiliations with Guatemala my wife I, I think I've mentioned on a previous podcasts uh, is affiliated with a nonprofit group there so we're trying to do some student exchanges and some other things and so I uh, had a dinner with Guillermo and started learning about more and more about Guatemala. He's very informed, and uh, I thought we can get into some fun topics of things in the economy with Guatemala. So uh, I think with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Guillermo? Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here, Levi, and all the people in the
2: audience. My name is Guillermo Gonzalez, and as uh, uh, you said, I work for SHARE, which is a nonprofit focuses on uh, social economic development so we uh, have had experience in the past working with a lot of human development issues such as uh, health nutrition Uh, we have also developed some risk management capacities among community members as well as tourism programs and right now it's my uh, sixth year in the organization uh, I work on providing uh, strengthening capacities for the leaders of the organization. So I look for grants to help them build their capacities as well. I also look for grants that will benefit our portfolio clients because we have a big portfolio in terms of microfinance. And I also work uh, as a director of um, the International Student Program, uh, which brings students from different universities and countries to work on nonprofits around the country. That's my professional side. In my personal uh, side, I also work uh, with a group of 15 women. Uh, I volunteer with them to help them add value to their textiles and all the products that they produce.
0: Uh, And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very Ah, much. Yeah, thank you. I think the microfinance, we haven't talked about that in a lot of podcasts, and I think that would be kind of a neat thing for you to to tell us what you know and kind of how that works um, in Guatemala. Great. So what we're trying to uh, address here is the
2: inequality that people have in Guatemala. There's little access to formal loans. There's little access to financial and entrepreneurial education as well. So Shared focuses on tackling these things. Uh, We provide loans for agriculture, we provide loans for commerce, we provide loans that are aimed for people that live below the poverty line. Guatemala's uh, situation is really extreme because 8% 8 of the population are living on extreme poverty. And it's projected to increase uh, if things are not
0: changed. And listeners, eight percent of the population means two bucks a day, if it's extreme as measured by the UN. So the yeah, so basically a little less than two dollars a day, and that's all factoring in things uh, like purchasing power parity. And so it really means less than a half of your Starbucks that you had this morning is what we're talking about about what they're living on. It's that type of purchasing power that's been taken into account when we when we look at those measures. And so. Yeah, Guatemala has a a very diverse uh, spectrum of of incomes and uh, these type of efforts are definitely needed.
2: Yeah, our basic idea is to uh, accelerate uh, the growth, the economic growth of the families so they can invest in important things for their households. For example, uh, the tuition of their children, uh, medicine, the nutrition as well. And we try to provide them also... With entrepreneurial uh, education, because most of them have not uh, gained access to any type of education, so we help them build uh, financial plans, business plans, so their businesses are more efficient and they get more profits, and then their profits are invested in their families.
0: What What are the? Give me an example. I don't know if you have a one off the top of your head, but like I'm thinking, what's the size of the loan, and what did that person do? Like, are we talking like this is like a, a $40 loan or a $4,000 loan or, you know, help us out with that a little bit to get some scope on this. So our
2: loans range from, uh, $200 to up to $3,000. Okay. Uh, and that's, uh, in the microfinance sector, uh, really well and accurate, but the average loan, uh, it's around a thousand dollars. Okay. That loan, uh, most of the times, like 47% of the times is invested in agriculture. And even though uh, agriculture and farming is uh, something that they're investing uh, specifically, all of our clients do have uh, an activity on agriculture. So we have also worked with uh, providing them with technical assistance so their crops are producing better yields as well.
1: Hmm. And so go ahead, Jake. Well, I was just going to ask, Cause uh, I, I've been reading a lot of Mises recently and he talks a lot about how productivity is one of the best ways to increase, you know, a country's well-being. And one of the best ways is, you know, to be able to finance these the smaller entrepreneurial things, but it's also to be able to have the most productive tools or the most efficient tools. So do you have any role in trying to get better tools into the country, maybe to produce more so people are able to live out of, you know, above subsistence so they can
2: produce more than just what they need to live? Definitely. Uh, One of the approaches that we have had, uh, it's a project that we're working with the support of Feed the Future, and it's a project that does the research on the practices that people have in their corn productions. Corn is our main staple food, Mm. so uh, what we're doing is that we're researching their actual practices and also the contamination that they have. So what we're doing is we're trying to tackle the, the contamination sources and improving their practices so their yields are better, and they can also access local markets in a better way. That's one of the examples that I can give you now, and we're working with small and medium farmers, as well as with bigger
0: farmers. Just a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned that the average loan was like $1,000. Is that U.S. dollars? Yes, it is U.S. dollars. Okay. So equivalent, about 7,000 quetzales. Around yeah. 7,700 quetzales. The, the exchange
2: rate. Exactly. And we are uh, working with mostly farmers, as I mentioned mm-hmm. before. And what we try to do is that we adequate their loans. So their loans are when they receive payments for the sale of their crops, we're not going to charge them before they sell their crops. So we also understand that, agriculture and farming depends on the market so we're not going to be monthly Mm -hmm. asking for money if we know that we're they're only going to get it after they sell Mm -hmm.
1: is there a large um are are you guys one of the biggest i guess microfinancers because i know um for example like in zimbabwe that was one of the biggest problems is the government wasn't allowing microfinance companies to even move into the country a couple years ago might have changed
2: so i was wondering is there a lot of other microfinance people doing the same thing as you the market has been growing and expanding. There's around uh, 80 microfinance organizations in Guatemala. It's wow. maybe different from Africa, but I can tell you that organizations that are looking for both impact and sustainability, that's a little percentage of them. Uh, we're one of those organizations that not only provides a direct service by going directly to the house of our, of our borrowers or to their businesses, uh, but we also use different methodologies to measure their capacity of payment. We use their experience, for example, or their capacity for sales. We also look at the, the markets they're selling, their price, We do different type of analysis, not just to evaluate their actual assets, but also
0: other capacities that they have. And are they, are they paying an interest rate, or is it a what would be kind of a market rate depending on the risk? And then my other question maybe related to that is, Do you use any of the social pressure techniques that I've heard about where they group people together and and it actually, they influence each other? Yes, definitely.
2: Uh, So we have different uh, interest rates. We do charge interest rates because the cost of having a good financial product that it's on your business, uh, that you have additional um, added value services such as education and such as scholarships also for your children uh, has a cost. So yeah. in the market, we are in the average cost of a, of a microloan. But in Latin America, we're still below. So our loans are cheaper than in other countries as well.
0: Um, What's the re- Give me a range or a rough idea of the interest rates. Right now, we're
2: looking at around 34% year.
0: 34% for uh, so the year. So that's
2: around 2.8 a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, as I mentioned, includes those benefits. Plus, you don't inherit debts if you die. We will cancel completely the debt. Oh. You won't You won't give it back uh, to any other family member. Okay, That's a part of the benefits. And then in terms of the mythology that we use, yes, we provide loans to individuals, but we also uh, work with groups. If you want to go back a little on how this was born, you can uh, look a little at uh, Mohamed ramim's uh, initial studies on the banking, community banking, and solidarity groups. We provide both mythologies and... The good thing about this is that the sorry about that you're going to have to cut this
0: no no no, no we don't cut we I'm, just keep going We're i'm free for, to make
2: mistakes <laughs> i'm so. look, i'm looking for the exact word oh the the risk <laughs> is shared among the members of the group yeah yeah the so risk for range. example in, in a community we have a group of 10 people and you know that uh, you for example couldn't pay because your children got sick and you use the money to take him to the hospital then another member of the group will cover it because he knows the truth. And then that will be a solidarity risk management because it's handled by the group. And that's uh, one of the benefits of the methodology. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure our list, some of our listeners are shocked, like, Oh, it's loan sharking rates of 34%. But in developing countries, these are these are high risk loans. There's not a lot of, property rights claim it's a it's a very high trust factor and uh i'll
2: tell you about uh, the the sharks over <laughs> there uh there's
0: organizations that are charging 190 uh, percent i wouldn't doubt it so that's
1: the <sighs> shark yeah, yeah. Awesome. and then i was sitting here thinking 34 percent was high too yeah. actually exactly. oh, i know that's wow. what i mean for, yeah. Mar-
0: for americans of course that would seem high of course we have credit cards that approach that yeah also but but yeah for this type of setup it's it's amazing oh. there's um and you guys analyze the business plan so that there's a lot of low hanging fruit for people and they just need the tool or the, whatever the thousand goes for, they might be making a hundred percent return on their money. And so 34%, yeah, no problem. Uh, You know, and they, they pay it back. And then once the loan is paid back, they might not need additional funds because that was the start that they needed. Right. And so, yeah. And of course you can go to a bank, but a bank will, will require that you have a
2: bigger liability that you can present, like, uh, yeah, your absolutely. owner well, an And a asset. bank might not want to
1: take on such a small
2: loan because it's not lucrative for them to do something. That's right. Exactly. That's the other- so the clients that we're working with that live below the poverty line, they, they're not getting any assets. They don't have any assets. So the situation here is that you have to address it differently. And part of uh, taking this
0: risk, uh, it's the interest rate that we have. Yeah. And then, so do you got an idea of default rates of like how many people don't end up being able to pay back? Yeah, well,
2: in Latin America, the average is
0: uh, 6% of a portfolio.
2: Okay, that's uh, not too bad. And our organization reached this month of October uh, four points. Ah. Yeah, so we're below that average and, and it's actually a really healthy portfolio. Uh, we have also other uh, initiatives to try to help them out get out of the of of the debt without incurring into
0: just uh, canceling the debt right mm-hmm. yes. it's more holistic right? exactly. you're you're consulting with them and so the, there's one part of the puzzle but then there's other things
2: exactly that's, that's why the organization has a really big structure because for example our auditors will go into the field and they will make sure that they know the reason why the person couldn't pay because when you go and visit them then that, that's a the moment where you realize the real problem maybe you're sick got uh, your children got sick or maybe you had uh, graduation and you had to spend the, the money for your children in that graduation something like that when you realize
0: the, the reality that's when we can change the conditions of your loan yeah how many loans do you have like do you have a dollar volume of how many loans are out there or is that I just curious like how active this is? $27 million. Oh, my gosh. I had no clue it was that big. Wow. <laughs> and, the, and the average is 1000 and the biggest is 3000 Yes. Wow. Wow. So, so you really are touching a lot of people and helping a lot of people. My we're goodness.
2: We're working right now with 34,000 clients right now. Oh, my
0: goodness. I didn't realize <laughs> it was that big. That is totally awesome.
2: We have 29, 28 different offices
0: in the country, and our staff is around 300 this time wow okay so forgive me because this is just the economist of me but you've got 27 million dollars loaned out at 34 percent and a four percent default rate yes am i missing something or is that a pretty good uh, business deal <laughs> 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 now i i assume you know a lot of that you have a large staff you got people like yourself that are i mean you talk about a people-intensive thing you're doing, like these auditors going out, and so there's a lot of support system. It's not like the American system where here's your money, hope it comes back, and yeah. <laughs> whether it comes back or not. So the the staffing and the resources is completely different. But yeah, um, but it sounds very, and this this helps with shares. Other this is a probably your big biggest profit center, I'm guessing. Yep. And then in addition to donations, that helps fund these other initiatives. Exactly. So basically, what the organization does is that. It takes uh, the
2: profits from this uh, microfinance program and it funds other projects. Yeah. For example, we provide 500, uh, approximately 500 scholarships throughout the year to girls that are about to leave uh, school uh, with this funds, for example. Then the other uh, part that it's important to know, it's that uh, even though we're a nonprofit, we're still paying taxes for this microloans. Sure. So part of uh, that profit also goes to paying profits. In that regards, the organization' uh, strategic plan required us to find an, a, a different strategy for this, and therefore, last August we inaugur- inaugurated our first credit union. So we're uh-huh. going to start collecting money from the. People oh, good. And okay. savings and yeah. then use it for uh borrowing
0: levels. low so you're kind of running starting to run a bank essentially exactly and
2: that will decrease our our interest rates as well while we provide the same type of service
0: yeah encouraging capital accumulation as well sounds yeah. like yeah no seconds. this is uh, that's spectacular so well this looks like a good spot for a break and um i think when we get back i'd like to talk more about the guatemalan economy they had a A presidential race where it was, uh, when I visited, it sounded like it was uh, the lesser of two evils. So I'd like to get an update from Guillermo on on how things are looking politically. And so we'll uh, get back here in 30 seconds.
3: Courtney Institute's vision by 2030 the Courtney Institute will be known for its alumni supporters and participants who incorporate economics understanding with their faith in their careers vocations communities and personal lives the Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty and the overlap of markets governance and faith Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Please visit our website at 123povertysex.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysex or on Facebook at Courtney Institute for updates on our activities and research. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysex.org.
0: Welcome back. Well, we're continuing our discussion here and over break, we almost started getting into something that I thought was too juicy to, to pass up. And so the 27 million that share makes up turns out to be fourth or fifth, you said largest. Yes. And so there is literally millions flowing out to Guatemalans. And, and so then Jacob started asking about poverty and I think maybe just kind of take it from there that, that we have lots of these micro loans are, are are we seeing the results? Uh, that sort of thing. Yes. So we right
2: now work with a tool that maybe you're not familiar with. It's called the Poverty uh, Out of Out of Poverty Index. Okay. And, and it's a tool that measures uh, how many of our portfolio it's moving from from extreme poverty nice. to poverty as well. And. It's a tool that uh, lets you know uh, better what's going on with those micro-lenders because uh, if you want to use other uh, types of uh, lenders, like medium-sized lenders, uh, you can just uh, see their formalization and they're going to a formal economy. Mm-hmm. So this tool has uh, shown us that we are decreasing the amount of people that are in the, in the poverty line mm-hmm. from 48% to 42%. In 2015, and then the measurement, uh, the second measurement was in 2017. Mm-hmm. What we're saying uh, here is that yes, we do have a project or a program that does benefit people, but people that are actually uh, conscious about their spending, conscious about applying uh, themselves and paying on time. The country itself is facing another factor, and it's the demographic growth. Our country is growing exponent- exponentially. And hopefully, this uh, phenomenon will start to decrease. But right now, the the World Bank has predicted that our country will face a, the, the acceleration of the economy. And therefore, people that are in disadvantage will also start getting more poor and poor by the second. These inequalities, uh, for example, are uh, sometimes cause of the public security that they're facing in their accounts. So people... Even though they want to have a business, they're facing other issues. For example, hiring a security guard that they didn't have budgeted at the beginning or having their staff being more uh, aware of of, of inventory and things that are in terms of security. And before that, uh, that was not a problem. It's important to mention also that the infrastructure in Guatemala it's not improving, like government investment, yeah. it's not
0: making things easier. Yeah, the public dollars aren't getting into the right places. You mentioned the roads were pretty bad at that presentation we were just at. The, the roads. Road. Yeah. You know, the World Bank studies, did. I hope, I hope if, if you need any sign of hope from an American economist, that is pretty standard that they will point to people being the problem, right? Like population growth. And so they, their models will say, well, if we stay at this level, but then we do this, and I'm here to stay and to tell you, people are the solution, not the problem. And so if that population can take advantage of new education opportunities that your organization and other organizations, if that ends up being a, a more educated population with new opportunities, Guatemala could go into nice growth, right? Exactly. And so those doomsdayers, that's been done since uh, for years and years, I go back way back to Thomas Malthus, for that matter. On uh, you know that we we prosper and then we make babies and then we stay at subsistence level living. Turns out that's that's not true. And so I, I hope that uh, your efforts and efforts of other people on uh, making sure people have the resources available will not lead to that outcome, even with bigger population growth. Exactly,
2: and making uh, both statements, like asking these new leaders to make reforms in our education systems are really, really necessary. The elections that you uh, wanted to talk about yes. a little gives us a, a good parameter for it. So a lot of these candidates are influenced by the corruption, but they're also influenced by narco traffic as well. Mm-hmm. So their campaigns are talking about security and their investments as a politicians are in security instead of investing in education, instead of investing in the infrastructure necessary for you as an entrepreneur, for example, to develop your business. And that's something that we as Guatemalans are yelling out loud. We're asking more politicians to take more consciousness that you need to invest and to build a country that can fit a lot of people that educate themselves, and then they start their own business. If that doesn't happen, the country is only going to grow to where their uh, interests are going, market traffic, for example, yeah. or their own personal interests. Right.
0: Yep, and that's a classic problem where some businesses succeed and then they start to see that the most successful way is to get kissy face with the government, and then they just feed off of each other while other and competition shrinks and... Uh, that's just bad news overall. Um, the Guatemalan economy is uh, actually ranked, Guatemala in general is ranked pretty high on the Economic Freedom Index, which was a little bit puzzling for me when I went and spoke. And I think maybe you and I talked about this while we were there. And the, the biggest problem is the legal system and the court system and kind of uh, having corruption involved in those that uh, there's just a general lack of property rights protection for everyone equally, right? If you're connected and you're rich, of course, that's, that's easy, just like it is in most countries. But, but to really have that go to the, to the lowest income person, the similar protections, that's, as near as I can tell, not happening. It does happen. I heard also from some of my colleagues at University of Francisco American that within Guatemala city, it, it's better in places, short of the, the gang issues in some zones and not others. But, but for the most part, you've got a decent rule of law in, in some parts of Guatemala City. But then it's almost lawless as you go out into the countryside. Is that a fair summary? I, one of them told me kind of something along those lines. So It's definitely like that. But I would even bring it more
2: into the ground. It's some areas of the city, not even the entire city is yeah. safe. There, there are zones that I would even myself be walking on because I know that they're super dangerous and there's little efforts into fighting, the, uh, fighting crime in those areas. So this is uh, just an example on how elitist this could be. Yeah. And this is in terms of not only of security, but also on investment for, for infrastructure, for communities to have good access to even water or electricity. So if you're a small entrepreneur and you're a business person and you want to start doing business you want to keep away from from being formal because the government is not investing in you right Mm. so 79 percent of our economy it's informal informal so the other 21 percent is generating the tax except the, the taxes that made the government work yeah so then you have uh little money coming from taxes so less investment again And it's a vicious uh, cycle that is going to repeat constantly. So what what, what do you think would reverse that trend? How are you going to try to form? What what, what would your solution be to formalize these informal markets? Well, definitely you need to start from the beginning. I like the history of the United States because you see the history of the United States. They made a huge effort to connect cities, to give them water, to give them electricity, to give them uh, the things you need Mm -hmm. to survive and start. Mm-hmm. If we had all of that, that would be amazing. To have a hospital that works, to have a, a school system that provides you with free tuition—that's amazing. Our free tuition goes for primary completely, partially for for high uh, for middle school, and then if you want to go from there, uh, our our national university. It's, it's so limited for those who, mm-hmm. who can access it, but much more limited for those who can finish it because you have to travel long distance to get to a, to a place to study. Mm. And that just becomes irrational. So if you want to change the rules of the game, you have to start changing those things. I'm not saying, like, let's divide a land again and, and mm-hmm. give a, a new piece of land for everybody. No, no, no. Yeah. It's it's much more
0: about providing the infrastructure necessary for you to grow. Exactly, Which is the chicken and egg. because. How do you make those more formal? You need leaders. So that kind of leads me to my next question was, how do you, how would you view the culture of Guatemala in the sense of, will the, the people, kind of the grassroots people, the real people of Guatemala, will they tend to embrace or be comfortable with freedom? Some of the freedoms we enjoy in the United States as far as, or will they look like many other Latin American and Central American countries to a strong leader who ends up, being corrupt or dictator or whatever problems, as we see Venezuela and and other areas, I'm, I'm curious what you think about the people and if if they would have a sense that a market system where they're all not guided by some top-down centralized planner, there's less power there. But really, but the what part of what makes America beautiful is our strong constitution and the rule of law that allows people to emerge, you know, from a bottom bottom-up perspective. So. What's your thoughts on their culture? Would they be accepting of a, of, of a more market system or would they tend to gravitate towards the strong leader? Guatemala needs education.
2: Definitely, definitely. One of our former presidents was condemned as a communist, but it was just a strategy. And he was looking to provide more equality for everybody. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to imitate the model of the United States at all costs, but he wanted to do it fairly. He knew that there were already established businesses that had already established, I don't know, models uh, or or business functioning. So he wanted to respect that, but he wanted to make sure that everybody got access to all of the uh, infrastructure that our government should give you. So Guatemala should uh, move into getting more people educated because then they could choose a representative that actually represents their their interests and, and needs and that can put the things on the table as they are because that's where inequality comes because they favor uh, some and they make uh, laws for just some and not for
0: everybody. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, you brought me back to one of my favorite quotes from Milton Friedman is uh, a country that puts equality before freedom will have neither but a country who puts freedom before equality will have generous amounts of both. Now that is to me a powerful quote because if as the leaders go for equality, then somehow that's a redistribution. And then ultimately the corruption kicks in and they end up redistributing more to their friends and friends in high places and themselves and other people in government. And so that's kind of the freedom message that I wonder if would resonate with Guatemalans. I found when I visited, some are so indifferent, kind of complacent that the system's going to be the way it's going to be, kind of a, I just have to look out for myself and I don't really worry about the national election or whatever, because nothing's going to change. That that type of attitude was the vibe I got from some people. Of course, it was just, you know, a few conversations here and there. Is that true or is that a fair statement? Or
2: I think it is. Uh, I think uh, we need that freedom to choose, that freedom to elect if we want to study, if we want to create a business, if we want to work for somebody. uh, That is really important. And I think Guatemalans look for freedom. The problem, again, is that people are not educated enough to know what is really behind this and what is really affecting their their lack of freedom. So they cannot be led by a leader that is only looking for its own interests. And then uh, how are they going to relate to this leader if He's only looking for his own benefits or the benefits around him. So what people really need to do is analyze the history of the country, how how they can fit in this, and then look for more identity. I think that's something really important for Guatemala and will probably fix a lot of things. Look for identity yeah. because uh, they're trying to imitate, they're trying to copy things, but they're not, they don't have their own voices as well. Yeah. And I
0: think it's really important. Yeah, it's difficult. I, uh, one, some current events with uh, Chile come to mind. That uh, Chile followed a path of more uh, rule of law, economic freedom, and they're having troubles with people, outcries of inequality, um, which seem to be there as well. I, one of the, my back burner studies is to look at there's always relative inequality. So my question would be is what do the poor look like relative to their Argentinian counterparts and their other ones? I suspect that their poor are actually better off than maybe some of the alternative regimes. And so it's always this human nature of looking at the rich person and saying that's not fair, which that might be true, right? It's just, it's a perception thing. And so um, I, I hope that through education efforts, we can start to see that, these freedom maybe maybe it does cause a wedge of inequality, but I'd rather be poor in that country than poor in a different country where everybody's more miserable and less, you know, less uh, purchasing power with their money and more extreme poverty. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. One w- one of the examples I always give about poverty differences is that here in the United States, you're required to have a number where you can be reached for your social security, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Even poor people have a mobile phone. And you know who's answering the phone calls? Guatemalan call centers. (laughs) And you know, Guatemala does not have even a social security system that can cover those those people. But yet, we have a business I contend the U.S. <laughs> security. So uh, it, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And and normally you will say, well, yeah, but the U.S. have uh, has made a lot of efforts to, to, to help uh, help their people. Yeah, but why Mala why, well, hasn't? I mean, we have tons of natural resources. We have beautiful destinations. Yeah, to promote. Beautiful. There's a lot of farming to be done over there. I mean, there's still a lot of opportunities to be exploded over there. But yet, again, as you said, we need more education. We need a, an infrastructure provided by the government that allows you to be an entrepreneur and allow, uh, yeah. that allows
1: you to it's make the right type decisions. of
0: education, too. You're right. I exactly. mean, it, it's a, a certain thing that kind of has that freedom message that I think could be the most impactful for the young people. And so, all right, well, that looks like a good place to wrap. Uh, Guillermo, it was a pleasure having you on and learning about Guatemala. And, and uh, it seems like each time I talk to you, I learn something new. So I look forward to uh uh, working with you more in the future as we maybe develop some of these student exchanges and whatnot so it'd be great thank you thank you thanks for inviting me and anytime you
2: want to have another talk let's keep talking all right i love it all right thank you very sounds much. good you
0: so on behalf of the gordon institute here at ottawa university i'd like to thank you all for listening um if you like what you heard and want to support us uh, one way you can do it is just by doing a regular download on your podcast app so that it's weekly there that'll help us rise through the ranks So other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.